KCIUT 89.5 FM. Toronto. Trouble so hard. Ooh, love. Trouble so hard. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. And welcome to a very live, as always, uh, version of the Radical Reverend Show. And I'm your host, Sherry DeNovo, as per usual. Um, an unusual show today, though, because we're going to be featuring a press conference that was held at Queen's Park. And this was on a new bill that's come forward on a gender-affirming uh, act for trans-diverse, uh, um, gender-diverse folk and non-binary folk. This is an extension really of uh, trans rights as human rights, a, a bill that I worked on for many, many years and finally passed in 2012 with all party support. Uh, that hasn't sadly happened. Um, we don't have equal rights for, for trans and gender diverse. Um, and to help me unpack a little bit of this is one of the participants of that press conference first. Um, and then uh, secondly, in the second half of the show, we're going to have Emma Wakelin, who is uh, no stranger to folk who listen to the show as she's on our left, left or leftist panel. Um, but first up, uh, it's uh, Professor uh, Jake Pine from York University, researcher, and specifically in the areas of trans and the gender diverse issues in this country. Jake, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Sherry. Uh, you're not on strike now, are you? I know there's a strike going on at York University. There is a strike going on. I'm, I'm in a different union than the one that's on strike, that is on strike. Um, and um, the other unions tend to um, you know, act in solidarity to support um, the QP3903 who are on strike. Um, but it remains to be seen how that's going to unfold. Um, but I, I'm in support of the 3,000 um, workers at York, uh, mostly, um, mostly um, contract um, professors um, who are striking as we speak. Well, a solidarity with that strike for sure. Uh, QP 3903, just rock on, QP. All I can say here at the Radical yeah. Reverend Show. <laughs> um, to get back to topic uh, uh, that we're looking at, um, you know, the, this this bill really, you know, is is a is a pretty mild request of this government, which is just to set up a committee where there can be some input um, from the community about access to healthcare. Um, first of all, talk a bit about your research, what your doing um, at York, and then maybe uh, share with us uh, your thoughts about health access in particular. Uh, sure. Um, so my, I'm an assistant professor in the School of Social Work at York University, um, and my work um, tends to focus on um, uh, trans youth, trans communities broadly, um, but in recent years I've been focusing more on the um, uh, the intersection of uh, trans and autistic um, community, sort of neuro um, neuroqueer community, some might say, um, and um, and, th and that works exciting. Um, but it's not what we're talking about today. Um, but the um, yeah, and prior to academia, I, I worked in trans community for about twenty years. I worked at places like Five Nineteen, um, doing uh, work building access to shelter access for trans community to shelter. Um, and emergency services, um, access to family law, justice, access to health care, um, uh, and building supports for gender-independent kids and trans youth and their families in the province. 
um, and your work was very important in that respect, Sherry. So your work on um, on Bill 77, which passed in 2015. Mm-hmm. That was the only bill that I actually uh, didn't have other support on. It was my own solo <laughs> change of law, right. but I did have other support on it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have passed, clearly. But anyway, um, onward. Well, yes, thank you for your work too, Jake, of course, and others like you who, uh, uh, I mean, nothing, nothing happens at Queen's Park without a, a kind of an army of like minds behind it, really. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so the, in terms of the, you know, the Bill 42, um, Kristen Montan's private members bill, the Gender Affirming Healthcare Advisory Committee Act, I agree with the, with the, you know, the remark you made a moment ago when you said it's actually not, I'm not sure how you put it, you said it's not, not, not radical or not controversial. Um, it's to, you know, to, to establish a committee and, and committee work um, is actually common as part of, part of government business. Um, so it's not strange. It's not a. It's not a luxury. It's not a, a wild um, request. Um, but it would be helpful. It would Bill Forty Two. Uh, you know, if passed, would establish a committee that was made up of trans and non-binary gender diverse people, a diverse group of those folks, to make recommendations for improving access to gender affirming care uh, in the province. And you know, there, there's a number of uh, like timelines and what it could accomplish. Um, but maybe you can um, you can kind of guide me in terms of what it would be good to focus on for our time. Yeah, well, just talk about, you know, why it's even necessary. Uh, I I certainly, you know, having worked uh, in and with the community for many years, as have you, um, have heard the horror stories. And we heard one um, that uh, Emma shared, I'm sure she'll share it in the second half of the show, uh, just that even with the limited access that there is, it can be ridiculously expensive to get the care that's needed and it's not covered. And now, of course, wait times are huge. Um, the healthcare system is it's not any better. In fact, it's worse than it was uh, when she went through. Uh, so, I mean, you know, you're, you're in the field. Um, what, what are you hearing? So, I mean, you know, one of the things about being in a university is that sometimes you end up a bit um, uh, distant from the field or the field changes, <laughs> what is considered the field. Um, so you know, I, I appreciate um, the two trans women who spoke um, at Queen's Park yesterday um, and who are, in some respects, I think, you know, closer closer to the issues. Um, and and um, uh, Dr. Kate Greenaway is a, um, a family, um, an Ontario family physician, has, has spoken and she's certainly sort of right in the thick of it, has spoken about um, her own wait times. And I believe it was last year. I don't know if that number is different now. Last year, she said that her, this is again, Dr. Kate Greenaway, said that, that her her own um, wait list was 2,000 patients long, again, for gender-affirming care. Um, and said, you know, those, those wait times are actually, they're, in, they're the norm in Ontario right now. Um, so the wait times are like, you know, from six months to two years, in general, for, for pediatricians who are uh, able to see, able, able willing um, to see trans kids and youth, those wait times can be up to two years. And then wait times for surgeries, that's a multi-step process. And so that, and so the timing there is worse where, uh, you know, Ontario trans and gender diverse people will first wait to see a provider that can request the surgery, then wait for OHIP to approve that surgery, maybe six to eight months, and then wait for the surgeon themselves, which could be a three-year long wait. Um, and so, and so that's, and that's a long time. Um, and um, I would, you know, so two points about wait times. I would say that, like wait times are dangerous. Wait times for gender-affirming care are dangerous. Uh, they're also an expression of power. Um, and I can elaborate 
on those, but I want to turn it back over to you in case you have uh, if you want to guide the conversation a bit. Yeah, I mean, just we just have a a couple of minutes left because we're going to play the press conference itself um, right after I get off the line Uh with you, Jake. Um, But um, but I mean, we we can't be oblivious to the rise of uh, transphobia that is happening, uh, certainly legally and in every other way south of the border and here in Canada too. Um, How is this going to affect? uh, I mean, one of the one of the I I block these people consistently every day, um, but one of the Themes is you know uh, this sort of you know children having surgery and then you know changing their mind and, and I mean perhaps just very very quickly just address um, that myth yeah I mean there's so many myths you know yeah. like we could do uh, we could do a different radio show about each of each of the myths and and really they're tra- they're trafficking in in those myths in the you know. Um, trafficking in, in sort of, you know, saying things that aren't actually true, but they may sound true to some people. Um, so, you know, for the most part, you know, children don't get surgery for the most part. Um, there have been in Ontario, there have been sort of exceptions made for some trans youth who are, you know, particularly like good candidates um, for a chest surgery, but, but generally those are, those are not being done um, uh, on minors, or certainly not at a young age, children, when we say children, you know. Um, and puberty, you know, puberty blockers is another, um, another. Um, I was going to say sort of like red herring uh, that, that, that's coming out to sort of distract people, um, that, you know, they're, they're going to give your, your kids these hormones, etc. And puberty blockers have been used for, I think it's four decades now, um, and they are used when a young person goes into puberty. They were developed for a young person who goes into puberty too soon, it's, you know, uh, 10, 10 years old, 8 years old, uh, you know, far ahead of their peers. And it's uh, puberty blockers uh, sort of blocks the production, of, blocks the onset of puberty until such a time as you uh, stop administering it and then allows puberty to take its course. So that's been used on, on cisgender, non-trans children for a long time. And it began to be used on trans youth in the in the 90s, there was a Dutch physician who there was a trans youth who was in a lot of a lot of pain about about puberty taking their body in in what was for them the wrong direction, you know, and sort of having to experience their body changing in the wrong direction, and and realize like oh we have something for that, you know. So they're they've been studied since the 90s. There's a lot of long term uh, studies showing really good outcome. Um, they're reversible. These are sort of red herrings um, that really get people going. The idea of like surgery, hormones, children, you know, or giving them drugs, etc. Um, and I think you know, if we had the time and the ability and the platforms to be explaining these things to people, they're actually not strange. They're not. They're not so different from what non-trans people um, use sometimes to express themselves to actually affirm their own gender. Like the, you know, the concept of, of of affirming your gender is actually not specific to trans people, you know, feeling, feeling at home in, in one's body. It's actually pretty fundamental um, to our ability to live in the world, you know, to live a life. Um, but so one, of the things, yeah. mm-hmm. one of the things that I just wanted to point out uh, mm-hmm. about, the, um, about the kind of wave, what well, we saw it this fall, the wave of sort of, um, uh, you know, parental, parental rights um, protests, is we, I think we want to pay attention to the language. 
that people are using there because they're using really quite extreme language in some cases of save the children. And I mean, they're sort of the leaders of those movements, not necessarily all the parents who come to those rallies. Um, but they're using quite the extreme language of like saving children, you know, so saving children from harm, etc. And we want to take note there that that, that, that language um, legitimizes, it can be used to legitimize quite extreme acts, right? Like when, like we will allow quite extreme things if a child can be saved from harm, right? Um, like, you know, if you see a, a, a baby or toddler locked in a hot car in a parking lot, you break the window of that car to rescue that child, right? So this is, these are things that um, we, we allow children to be apprehended by, by child welfare agencies. And another context that would be considered kidnapping in this context of saving children, etc., we allow quite extreme things to take place. And Which so is terrifying, know, just to interrupt for a minute, because we've <coughs> seen that happening in law <laughs> in the States. I mean, yes. th- these are bills yes. that have been put forward uh, where parents, ca- you know, yes. trans and uh, gender diverse children can be taken from can their parents who are yes. supportive. So, um, yes. yeah, I mean, criminalization, criminal yeah. charges, etc. Yeah, I, uh, I'm so sorry, Jake. I'm going to have to limit the conversation. I would love to to go on, and and definitely we will have you back on the show again. But um, at this point, I'm going to have to go to the press conference. Is there one last thing you want to say? Yes, actually, I want to say just quickly about the um, about the quite large group of uh, Muslim parents who who took part in some of those rallies in the fall for parental rights and against you know against um, what schools or what school policies are around protecting gender identity. I want to note that that is a real challenge for uh, sort of white LGBT communities that we have to rise to the occasion around how we deal with racism ourselves, you know, uh, in, in our community, um, in our community, among us, and then how, how we approach um, these group of parents. And we want to pay close attention, I think, to not framing those parents as if they have been fooled or duped to take part in that movement. We don't want to frame some, you know, m- Muslim parents of color in this country as being somehow um, not smart or people yeah. who, who don't have, uh, who don't have, um, uh, don't have agency in their lives. So what is it that those parents are wanting? Are they wanting to, uh, to sort of challenge often what is often a racist, Islamophobic school system that, that denies them information, that shames them, etc. I would then, interrupt, and then, too, and, and then say we can, it's true of Christian parents, too, um, especially those from the uh-huh. Caribbean, because I do a lot of speaking at right. school boards and in schools and uh, for school, for teachers unions, and um, and it's about 50-50 between um, right. In, right. in classrooms now um, from, and, and again, this is uh, why I strap on my collar and <laughs> quote yeah. chapter and verse Occasionally, I, I'm going to have to end it there. I'm so sorry, Jake. No problem, um, thank no you so much for your input, and um, we'll we'll speak again for sh- uh, soon for sure. Okay, take care. Thank and you, uh, and now uh, we we are going to go to that press conference. Um, we're going to uh, it's going to be about 20 minutes long, so bear with us. And uh, and yeah, this happened just yesterday, so hot off the press. Welcome to this press conference here to support Kristen Wong Tam's bill, the uh, Gender Affirming Healthcare Advisory Committee Act. 
And the reason we're here, of course, is to speak up for the gender diverse and their access to health care. Years ago, in fact, 2012 was when trans rights became human rights in this province with Toby's Act. Uh, but that hasn't held where health care is concerned. So we need full access. Uh, part of the gender affirming bill is to have members of a gender of the gender diverse community uh, provide information and consultation to the Minister of Health, Sylvia Jones, and to create a report uh, six months later to the minister and then uh, have her act on that report. Uh, that currently is not happening. And I'm delighted to have with us a folk to speak to that uh, issue and to the bill. First and foremost, uh, we have Nikki Ward. Uh, she's advocate and president of Canada's largest co-op. She's also the former vice president of the health insurance company. She designed and implemented health insurance for 300,000 members of the Canadian Association of Retired Persons, CARP, as you may know it. Uh, and also, uh, we want to show that this bill has not just NDP support, but broad range support. Uh, Nikki ran for the Green Party and uh, I'll then introduce Emma Wakelin, who is next to her. Uh, Emma Wakelin was a staffer here at Queen's Park and uh, is a campaign manager for the Liberal Party of Canada. And lastly, we have uh, Jake Pine. Jake is a professor at York University. Um, Jake will be up in after the two women speak. And uh, Jake is a researcher where trans health and other trans and gender diverse issues are concerned. And of course, finally, the author of the bill themselves, uh, Kristen Wong Tam, will answer questions and speak too. Nikki. Thank you very much. Uh, good morning. My name is Nikki Ward, and uh, I'd like to speak to the issue of Bill 42, Gender Affirming Healthcare Advisory Committee Act. There's a couple of things here that I uh, bring perhaps some uh, unique insight to. Firstly, as a former insurance executive, I know that health insurance decisions are both based on compassion and economics. And the bottom line here is that an advisory committee providing expert good advice inevitably will create better decisions for all Ontarians. Um, this simply makes economic sense. Not only uh, we have we, in essence, a two-tier health system, something I think we all agree we should not have because of the gaps in health care, uh, but this is costing our government and our taxpayers a fortune. All we're suggesting here is that uh, we establish an advisory committee from those people with lived experience, expert experience, to help the government provide better health care and to do so at a lower cost. And I think that's, I hope that's something we can all agree on. Thanks very much. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you, Nikki. And uh, thank you, Kristen, for, for putting this bill forward. Um, I can only speak from personal experience as, as both a trans woman who came out about six, seven years ago, and as as a staffer here at Queen's Park for way too many years, um, I can tell you that for far too long in, in many areas of the government, decisions are made by advisory committees that are not necessarily representative of the community. And that is sadly the, the fact uh, when it comes to gender diverse people. Uh, when I came out in 2018, I was lucky. I had a job here at Queen's Park. I had fantastic benefits, but yet still with all of that privilege, I ended up spending most of my life savings just trying to be who I am. Uh, there are many thousands of trans people across this province who don't have the resources to be able to uh, 
live their authentic self. And I think it's incumbent on our government to ensure that we listen to their voices, ensure that health care is universal across the, the wide spectrum of our population. So I, I thank Kristen for her bill. I really urge all parties, including our conservative government, to ensure that gender diverse people are represented in the advisory capacities, um, uh, the, the, the committees that advise the health minister in the, in the government. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I'm Dr. Jake Pine from York University, from the York University School of Social Work. Um, and I want to first thank MVP uh, Kristen Wong-Tam uh, for putting forward the private member, member's bill, Bill 42, um, which will improve an ac access to and coverage for gender-affirming health care in Ontario. Uh, and the bill has been seen in the House before, um, but it finally needs to be acted on now. And one of the key issues is wait times, which is what I'll focus on. Last year, uh, Ontario family physician Dr. Kate Greenway spoke publicly about her own 2,000-patient-long wait list, uh, and she explained that, in fact, wait times are currently the norm in Ontario, um, that that is and, uh, that not the exception, uh, and that those gaps are in every part of the province and not just in, uh, in smaller areas, which, is also a which would also be a concern. She says it's in every part of Ontario. Um, she reported on some of those wait times being, being uh, six months to two years in general, two years for a pediatrician, and multi-step process for surgeries, and thus a worse wait time process, needing to wait for a provider who would request the surgery, then waiting for OHIP to approve that surgery, roughly six to eight months, and then waiting for a surgeon, which could be a three-year-long wait list. Uh, and in addition, needing to leave the province, uh, as some do, is expensive uh, and burdensome. Even in the most crude uh, analysis of the situation, if we were to look at only the economics um, it is expensive. It is expensive to the province to not give people what they need. It's expensive in terms of the other services that those people then require um, when they don't get what they need, uh, which I'll move on to. Um, but first I wanted to say that we currently don't have accurate numbers of provincial wait lists it is a feature of the problem that we're here to talk about and what Bill 42 will try to address is that we will then we need access to those numbers uh, and the uh, and the advisory committee uh, that MPP Kristen Longtam proposes to put together uh, will help this. So I have two points about the wait about wait times. Uh, the first is that long wait times are dangerous, and the research that's documenting that isn't new. Uh, it's now more than a decade past the release of um, the Ontario Trans Pulse Studies 2013 finding, which found that when people when trans people uh, are ready to take that step for gender-affirming care, but they haven't yet begun, they're 27 times more likely to have attempted suicide within the past year. Uh, and we're now more than a decade past that time, uh, so it's more than time for this. Uh, so the time between a trans person making the decision to access gender-affirming care and getting access to that care is then a dangerous time. It requires a timely response. Uh, and my second point about wait times is that wait times are also an expression of power, the expression of citizenship, um, of unequal citizenship um, in this province. Um, so those who can access what they need versus those who are made to wait occupy unequal places in this society. Speaking about the same wait time problem in the UK context, uh, legal scholar Emily Grabham writes that waiting implies submission. Um, and gender-affirming care is not a minor detail. It's fundamental to people's uh, lives and their ability to live their lives to access uh, our public institutions, which in this province, uh, healthcare is meant to be universal, and yet we find uh, that it is not, uh, and that those wait times are worse among, uh, among, other, among people experiencing other forms of inequality. Uh, 
for example, race, class, disability, uh, status as a sex worker, etc. Um, so I'm going to leave it there. Um, uh, but I will just note that the um, that the forming of a committee um, is not unusual in any respect. That is like the course of this is common in the course of government business. Um, and what this bill will do is simply prioritize trans people among many Ontarians who need better health care. Prioritize this group of people um, for rectifying uh, an inequality. So thank you again to um, MPP Kristen Wong Tam. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Uh, happy to answer any questions that there may be. Uh, obviously, the Gender Affirming Healthcare Advisory Committee Act uh, is uh, not a new bill, not at Queen's Park. Uh, we've seen this bill before introduced in the last House session. It did uh, receive the uh, support from the Conservative Caucus, and it made it to committee where it did not um, uh, move any further. Uh, and of course, we then moved on to a June 2022 uh, provincial election, and that bill then died. I'm hoping that we can uh, see the support of all parties coming together. Uh, as noted by all the speakers, having an advisory committee uh, comprised of medical and scientific experts, as well as uh, healthcare professionals and those with lived experience, is not anything new. Uh, but we do want to ensure that all Ontarians, every single one of them, has access to the healthcare that they need and deserve, and that includes trans and non binary people. Happy to take any questions. We've got speakers here, and of course, we also have uh, Sherry Novo. So, since the last time this bill was introduced, the province has, well, I guess, trans affirming, like gender affirming care, has become a bit of a uh, political issue across the country. We have the the province, the KC, sort of like making motions in that in that direction, talking about. Um, about teachers indoctrinating students, stuff like that. Do you think the PCs will support it this time, given the change in like the political situation around this issue? That's an excellent question and uh, one that deserves a thoughtful answer. In my conversations with Conservative Caucus members, uh, they have mentioned the fact that uh, that their federal leader, um, who is making all those uh, comments, uh, very much uh, disturbing comments, comments that are oftentimes uh, hate-baiting. Uh, they have mentioned the fact that this bill will not necessarily be supported by the federal uh, party. However, we're talking about a, a different party here in Ontario, uh, albeit their provincial cousins. And uh, if they do not support the bill at second reading, it will be quite telling. Uh, honestly, because they did support it last time. So the only thing that would have changed is that the climate of uh, of the country is uh, is that we have a debate and uh, and one that's framed around gender ideology, which is a falsehood. Uh, this is a, a fictitious uh, debate that's oftentimes created as a wedge issue. But real lives, Ontarians deserve to have access to high quality, publicly funded health care, and that includes those who are trans and non-binary. I am curious about what everybody makes of the PC's approach to, I guess, trans issues in general. We had, like I mentioned, they, we had that one time that uh, Premier Ford talked about students being indoctrinated by their teachers, but really nothing came of that. Like the government, the government didn't actually tell uh, the students to, like the, the school boards to start informing parents about uh, changing in, uh, changes in gender identity. We saw the Premier and the, uh, 
and the health minister very unambiguously say they won't be doing the same thing as like Alberta and Saskatchewan in uh, reducing gender affirming care for like minors. So on one hand, they sort of be ma they sort of seem to be talking a little bit or at least dipping their toes in the water about this issue and then completely avoiding it on the other hand. And I was just wondering what everybody makes of that. Like, yeah. is that a good sign for in your mind, or if, what? What do you think? I just wanted to respond to that because uh, Toby's Law was my bill. I uh, fought for many years to bring that in, and it was passed by all parties. Uh, and that gave trans rights as human rights to this province, and then, of course, spread across the country and became federal eventually. And I just wanted to give a shout-out to Christine Elliott, who was a deputy premier of this province, who was one of the co-signatories on that bill. Um, and later, the Trans Day of Remembrance was co-signed again by a conservative, and that was Lisa McLeod. So we had a number of conservatives that have supported this, and this has been part of their policy as a party. So um, there's hope here, and I just want to put that out and say thank you to those conservatives who will vote for this. Uh, I hope there are many, and also to those who have voted for uh, trans rights. Thanks. May I speak to that? Um, well, thanks for that question. And as an advocate of over 25 plus years of working across party lines for uh, uh, trans rights, I'd like to point out that this isn't about gender. This is about health care, which affects all Ontarians equally. What we're saying is that the current system does not provide good quality health care uh, to a certain segment and that the, the government should reasonably take good quality advice. So framing this as a trans issue, as others have said, is, been, is, a, is a wedge thing. The fact of the matter is all Canadians, all Ontarians vehemently agree that we should not have a two-tier system where one class of people get health care and another do not, even those people we may disagree with on political side. The history of the province of Ontario here, uh, and again, as Sherry Denovo said, has been that uh, the, uh, the, uh, all governments, all parties in, in the province of Ontario have recognized the need for reasonableness in this, in this area. And it's completely unhelpful to the trans community to frame this as trans and divisive. It has to be considered, first and foremost, as about providing equal access to, uh, to health care for all Ontarians. And that's something that's worth reminding all parties of. So it's a good question. Any other takes on the PC's sort of approach to these issues? Well, if I was a cynical person, I would say that the federal uh, party is looking for um, ways to shore up their base uh, and that they are so far ahead in the polls that they don't need to necessarily um, be attractive necessarily to more centrist voters, mm. where that's not the case uh, in Ontario. At the end of the day, there are two different leaders, uh, the, the premier and the, the leader of the federal opposition. I, I, I don't think they're similar in their, in their ideology. I think the, Mr. Polyev um, comes from, a, from uh, a part of his heart that is very hard, uh, very anti-queer, um, and I think that he is allowing uh, hateful ideology to, to fester in his party to the detriment, I think, of of um, our country. Uh, thankfully, I don't think the provincial conservatives have gone down that route just yet. Um, they have, Ontario is a little bit more centrist in its, in its uh, politics, and I think uh, the, 
the provincial conservatives uh, are trying to be a little bit more careful in that regard. Nikki, sure. you're trying to um, you're making the case that this is like a healthcare issue. Then Absolutely. If that being the case, then doesn't I? I don't know a lot about gender affirming care. Sure. I know there's hormones, and I know sometimes there can be surgery. But if you were, to, if that is the case, and we're talking, this is about healthcare. Doesn't then this need to be taken to? Uh, balanced against like the accessibility of like health care for like hip replacements and other things like the health system is very stressed at the moment and there's right. less resources and people we're trying the government is trying to cut down on surgical waiting times for right. like diagnostics for like cancer and people living in pain because of joint replacements right why should like gender-affirming care be prioritized? Well, that's not what the Act is about. The Act is to establish an advisory committee so that the government makes better decisions about how it allocates resources. And to your very well-made point, the fact of the matter is that trans people also need hip replacements. And there is a barrier to that level of basic care telehealth, for example, all Ontarians need to access, but there are institutional barriers to that that are not obvious unless you've got lived experience, but are relatively straightforward to fix, all of which serve our needs uh, to provide compassionate health care and, moreover, are more cost-effective ways of delivering those services. Once again, I come from that background. I recognize it's compassion and economics, but this particular uh, act, as, as advisory committee, uh, covers both elements very, very handily. Uh, setting up uh, the quality of one's decisions is based on the quality of advice one receives and, by the way, takes. And to circle back again, this government has been, been um, uh, uh, in some cases, uh, reasonable, particularly when it comes to looking at the bottom line and preserving the needs of uh, our, our entire society and also the taxpayers in general. I just want to add to uh, what Nikki has just said. Not only do we not want to establish a two-tier healthcare system in Ontario where you have one group that has direct access and fast access uh, and one group that has less access or no access, you also don't want to establish two groups of people in Ontario where one is prioritized and one is not. Uh, Establishing this committee uh, simply uh, brings attention to the fact that there's a group of individuals highly vulnerable in Ontario that have very little to no access. If Ontarians are already feeling the struggle of a healthcare system that's already strained, now put yourself in the shoes of those who are trans and non-binary. That is even harder. So it really is about bringing forward uh, concerns that the community has been raising for a number of years into the decades now, and then making sure that we are able to intelligently move on recommendations at the discretion of the Minister of Health after uh, a group of experts have come forward and provide their very best professional advice. It ultimately still is in the, is in the discretion of the Minister of Health on how uh, she uh, decides to move on it. Question marks your question. Thank you. Um, I think it's really important uh, as to your question about uh, the Ontario healthcare system already being overburdened. I, I think it's important that we don't forget that the, it has been reported this year and last year that Ontario, the, the Ontario provincial government, is underfunding our healthcare system to the tune of I'm forgetting the exact amount, but it was a very large number, 700 million, something like that. We can all look it up, uh, and that should be that should be that that fact should be appearing in every conversation that we have about about healthcare in this province. Um, and in terms of um, in terms of what is being proposed today, it's not uh, radical. It's not um, it's not controversial. 
that these are settled issues in terms of universal ath universal health care, uh, human rights, uh, trans rights or human rights in Ontario. Those things have been settled already. So this is the logical next step, is that once we name a group as equal, then what are the barriers that can persist beyond that? We find out by putting together a committee like this. Any questions online? No. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone, and thank you for your time. Thanks very much. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. So you just heard uh, the press conference that happened yesterday at Queen's Park, and now I have uh, uh, one of the other uh, participants in that, Emma Wakelin, uh, no stranger to this show. Emma, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Thanks, Sherry. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, uh, so you know, you've had a day to think about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I thought your your comments were excellent. Um, uh, so, anything to add to to what you already said in that press conference, which uh, which uh, hopefully um, hopefully got through? You know, as you know, you were a Queens Park staffer. There is always uh, members of the opposition that listen to any press conference and take it back to their their uh, leaders. So, uh, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? Well, I mean. Listen, I, I think the, the bill, the private member's bill um, that MVP Wong King has put, or not, Kim has put together is, is important. We need more representation, obviously, uh, in our healthcare decisions and um, from all marginalized communities, but particularly the, the trans and um, non-binary communi communities, which are completely ignored by, um, well, almost uh, every governing body. Um, I, I think, w will it be listened to by the Conservatives? Probably not. The, the base, their base is very loud and it's very um, transphobic. Uh, I wouldn't even say transphobic, I'd say trans-hostile. Um, you know, I, I had some, some milder words, I think, yesterday about whether, you know, the, the provincial Conservatives will follow their feral cousins, but, uh, you know, who knows? As they start to to look at 2026, and I think it's going to be a much tougher election for them than it was in 2022. They may need to to pull a panic button and and go for wedge. But my words from yesterday still stand true. Ontario is not Alberta. It's not Manitoba. It, it's or Albert or Saskatchewan. Sorry, we 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 are considerably more centrist um, or more uh, left than in those provinces and i think attacking marginalized communities is not going to play well um in the larger urban centers here in ontario what uh, emma speaking to emma wakelin here who's a participant in the in the gender affirming press conference yesterday and by the way the the bill will be debated on um the 29th at six o'clock at queen's park and uh mpp wong tam has invited anybody and everybody to come on down um it's your house queen's park uh to uh be there in support of second reading of this bill whatever happens so there is that uh but what about this uh I mean, divisive for sure uh, is the and using it as a wedge issue, but we're also seeing this being used as a wedge issue in the queer community. So it's you know we're seeing LGBs against Ds and you know um, gays against groomers to mention an Ontario group that exists out there. Um, uh, I mean, any comments on that? 
Well, I, I'll say this. The, a lot of those groups, especially the, the LGB alliance out of the UK um, and similar groups here in North America, they're, they're funded by uh, alt-right and far-right um, groups uh, and religious groups out of, out of the U.S. Uh, a lot of them. Are there some folks in the, uh, uh, the queer community that uh, fall into this trap? Certainly. I mean, no community is completely 100% in line with each other, but I will say this, um, you know, there's an old joke that the, the, the most, um, uh, it, you know, trans friendly and protective group in the, in the queer community are, are, are lesbians who, who have always been allies to the trans community. And, um, some of my, my fiercest defenders and, and closest friends are, Angry lesbians who would quickly throw down uh, anyone who who would try to uh, attack the um, the greater uh, queer community. So, I think there's a cohesiveness in the queer community, but is it a hundred percent? No, but no community is. Is it eighty five percent? Maybe, yeah, probably. So, um, folks will try to put a wedge in, into the queer community. It won't work. We're a united force, um, and but they will. They will amplify those voices who pretend to speak for the greater queer community. We won't fall for it. It's important that we make sure that the broader community doesn't fall for it. Uh, here, uh, speaking to Emma Wakelin on the Radical Reverend Show, you're listening to uh, about gender-affirming health care, which actually, according to our human rights code, should be there, but somehow isn't. Uh, and and just a, a comment on the you know the reactions of others in the 2s LGBTQ plus community. Um, I, what I always when I when I see that voice you know which as you pointed out is a minority voice uh, on Twitter um, and other social media, I just always remind them that you know in the 1930s, guess who guess who the Nazis attacked first in Berlin were the trans folk, but they didn't stop there. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't stop there. So um, so be be very aware that, you know, first they came, yada, yada. Um, and then after that, they came for, you know, more. So um, if, if folk out there in the queer community think they're going to stop with trans and non-binary folk, they're sorely and historically mistaken. But, well, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. mistaken okay. and dangerously so, because the same arguments that are being made uh, the talking points used against the trans community today are the same that they used against uh, gay men in the 80s and the 70s and, and lesbians in the 90s and, and so on. It, and once they, they, they think they will chip away the trans, the T, they will go after the Bs, and then they will go after the Gs, and they will go after the Ls. Like it's, they will not stop. They, they want to destroy the entire queer community. So... Um, it's it's more important now than ever that we all stand together and um, uh, and, and, and stop this tide of hate. Um, it brings to mind a, a quote uh, that I had to look up because I couldn't remember who said it. I knew it was a philosopher, but didn't know which one. But it was Hegel who said, uh, what history shows us is that we don't learn from history. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is true, um, sadly, sadly, very true now. I mean, it was a little bit, I just, I have to say it was not a huge shock, but a little bit of a shock when Polyev decided to unleash 
um, the other day on uh, trans folk uh, and washroom usage. Um, I immediately tweeted that, uh, uh, guess who has, you know, guess where you find gender neutral washrooms in everybody's home? <laughs> but anyway, um, it, it just, it seemed weird um, that he would go down that road, but Maybe he just, you know, had a rally in Alberta. I don't know. Um, but it is concerning because he does have a following and uh, yeah. an increasingly a following among young people, which is very concerning. Um, so, you know, um, so there's that. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't, I, 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 I certainly, you know, sense an increased fear in the community. And I also want to point out to listeners that two very, um, very public deaths happened in the last few, in the last week. Um, next to um, the, the young non-binary student who was beaten to death in, uh, in Oklahoma school. And, uh, and I don't have her or their name, um, but um, another uh, killed in prison. So this is not unusual. I mean, every year, this is why we have Trans Day of Remembrance uh, in November is to acknowledge that, but I suspect that it's going to be even worse this year. Any thoughts on that, Emma? Yeah, it's it's absolutely tragic. It, and I hate to say that I see um, a silver lining because there are no silver linings when we're talking about the death of children, but um, what was a little glimmer of light was the absolute outrage from the, the general population about uh, Nexus death. And I saw folks commenting on it on social media that I'd never seen comment on on any uh, issue like this before. So um, if, gosh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to find the right words. If, if there is anything positive that can come from the death of that, uh, that sweet child, maybe it's, that it awakens a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. I was speaking to Emma Wakelin here, um, regular on this show, um, and hopefully you'll be back next week on Left, Left, or Leftist. <laughs> I'm, I'm always uh, <laughs> willing to come and, and chat with you, Sherry. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about the gender-affirming health care act that is going to be tabled a second time uh, this week in at Queen's Park, which just really, I mean, it's, it's such a mild ask, really. I mean, it's to ask a committee to be formed that will advise the health minister. It doesn't even force the health minister to take their advice. Uh, and uh, uh, But at least to just have that advice out there from the community uh, about access to health care. And I think Nikki made an uh, a very important point, which is, you know, it's it's not just it's about yes, it is about gender affirming healthcare, but not just it's about all healthcare for you know, but, you for know people. To, not yeah. to put my partisan hat on, but mm-hmm. this is another example. Of this government, this this conservative government, who it, they're not concerned about governing for what's the best for for the province. They're they're only in it for wins. Like in previous governments, and in, in the Win uh, government, in the, in the McGuinty government. Private members' bills could be passed by opposition members. I mean, it wasn't done all the time. PMBs have, you know, they're famous for for kind of dying on the order table. But bills like Toby's all got passed, right? Um, and that was yours. That's an opposition member's PMB that got passed. This this government is just they're petty. They won't listen even to mild, what should be common sense housekeeping. <laughs> Uh, suggestions they just ignore because it doesn't come from them and any quote-unquote win from the opposition is seen 
as a as a major loss to them, and it's not for for the good of Ontario. It's for the good of their their party. It's for the good of their donors. It's for the good of their base. And uh, we just need to get these guys out of there and do all that we can to keep them from winning federally. Yeah. Um... And there is that, too. Uh, it's, it's interesting that federally the issue on the table, of course, is something that the NDP is working with the Liberals on, which is Pharmacare, which has long been promised and still not there um, for at least some classes of drugs. Um, uh, and um, uh, again, um, you know, health care is for everybody. It's not just for cisgendered people here. Um, I mean, what, what, what's your thought about that? I mean, I'm, I kind of was hoping it would go a little farther than it is. But anyway, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's certainly not the bill that I would have liked to have passed. And, and I, but I think the, the NDPs in a position where they're not, I don't know, I guess they assume they're not ready to go. So they're, they're willing to take anything at this point. And I think they're afraid of being seen as um, causing poly of the wind. But, I, you know, I, I just want to say to those folks who are panicked or they have a lot of anxiety about poly of winning, the end of the day, it's, it's the provincial governments we have to focus on. They're the ones who have direct impact on your day-to-day life as a, as a queer person, as a trans person. The federal government can really only impact your day-to-day life so much. Um, what they can do in terms of rights, they're they're handcuffed by the Supreme Court, and in terms of like direct funding for 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 healthcare or whether it's you know even access to public bathrooms, all of that is within the provincial uh, domains, and that's where the battlefields need to be. And I was um, with a friend last night who's the chair of a, a school board, um, and he's telling me that the, these alt right um, folks they're trying to infiltrate our school boards and that's where also a front we need to focus on we can't let them get wins at the local level we need to, to fight on all levels so let's not just have a sort of a, a, a focus on the feds let's let's make sure we're doing our work uh, locally at the school boards and provincially to make sure that Ford's not reelected yeah as I said earlier with uh, when I was speaking to uh, Jake Pine the uh, you know, part of the faculty at York University that when I speak at school boards or to teachers unions or with teachers in the room, I mean, they're they're feeling very much, and they are, on the front lines of this um, in terms of protecting their children. Because and, and one of the wonderful things that we have to say is that for those provinces uh, um, like Saskatchewan that, uh, you know, kind of overrode uh, human rights to to ask teachers to out their children to their parents. Um, teachers generally, by and large, are saying, no, we're not going to do that, which is kind of lovely to see, uh, but they also need support. So, uh, yeah, support your teachers out there if you have support kids in the system because um, they're really on the front lines now of what government's trying to affect and trying to do to our children. And, and uh, yeah, there, there is that. Um, and support your trustees because they're in that fight as well. Yeah, yeah, right. uh, yeah. Depending on who the trustee is, I should say. Well, yeah, that's true. Do your research, of course. <laughs> there Protect is. your trans-friendly trustees out there, and there are a lot of them. 
Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of them, but um, there are there are some that are not. Um, so be be aware of that. Uh, at any rate, I mean, the, it seems to me by and large that this struggle is. I mean, it's like two steps forward and this is the one step back. Um, and but I mean, we really have to be vigilant because. Um, this is a particularly horrible wedge issue. And, and what strikes me always is that, you know, uh, I mean, this kind of picking on the most vulnerable in our communities is, is quite frankly, ethically reprehensible. I mean, you know, really, uh, like, you know, these are, you know, people like Polyev, who has got more money than God, and whose backers, you know, with the wealthiest party in Canada, for sure, picking on somebody who just wants to go and, ha- you know, wants to have a pee. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, really? Well, <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but Terry, that's what wolves do, right? When they attack uh-huh. a herd, they take the, the folks at the, at, at, the be- at the back, where they won't be noticed until they can chip away at that herd one by one until they can wipe out the entire herd. So it's important that we have each other's backs, you know, that we we look over our shoulders to see who's still behind us and that they're not being attacked. And we cannot allow wedges within our own community. We, We just have to have some resistance. So true. And uh, and actually, Jake uh, talked about, like, we can't let racism come into it either. You know, we have to be intersectional about this. Um, well, I, I just just on the on the washroom thing, because, you know, it's you get such stupidity on this issue. Um, I mean, first of all, it was long ago proven that, you know, men dressed as women going into washrooms to attack girls was just a, an urban uh, legend, um, number one. But number two, you know, what, what strike, strikes me about some of the people I'm blocking is because they're almost all men, um, uh, you know, uh, that are outraged that, you know, a man could walk into a woman's washroom. And I'm thinking, have you ever seen a woman's washroom? I mean, we don't have urinals. (laughs) I mean, you have stalls. Like, I don't know who's behind the other stall, you know, like (laughs) based on what they're wearing on their feet. I mean, it's so literally absurd. Um, But um, again, you know, uh, there it is. Well, it, there's a great comedian uh, who has a, a bit right now, and he talks about, like, there, there's no, you know, predator, sexual predator out there who, who's seeing somebody going to a, a woman going to the bathroom, like, oh, I really want to, you know, prey on that woman, but, oh, gosh, there's a sign there saying I can't go in because it's women only. I guess I'm going to have to wait for legislation to change, <laughs> or I'm going to have to transition so I can go in there and, you know, commit sexual assault. And if there's anything we know about people who commit sexual assault, they're really, you know, respectful of boundaries. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I hear you. Um, it's always such a pleasure to speak to you, Emma, for sure. And uh, and just to call out there, you're listening to the Radical Reverend Show here on CIUT 89.5 FM, keeping live radio alive. Uh, and uh, and so we and, and we're interested in you and what you think. So I always respond if you email me. I'm all over social media, especially Twitter, so I'm easy to find. Um, I refuse to call it X, by the way. Um, and, you know, please do. Please send me your comments. Uh, send me your ideas for shows, and particularly your ideas for this show as well, uh, because we always listen and we always respond. Emma, I look forward to having you on next week on our Left, Left, or Leftist panel. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, keep, the, keep those uh, projects and those topics coming. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So uh, we have uh, only a few minutes left, really, uh, uh, on uh, the show, and we are going to go to a musical break. But as I've said, 
please uh, keep those comments coming. Uh, we love your ideas. We particularly um, love those who have show ideas, and we do act on them, depending on what they are. Uh, so, uh, so keep your comments coming. And uh, at, until next time, really, on the Radical Reverend Show, we're going to go to a tune, Riley, aren't we, of some sort. Um, do you want to let me know what it is? And I'll let them know out there in listener land. Glad to be gay. There you go. Until next time on the Radical Reverend Show. Take care. To the World Health Organization. It's a medical song and it concerns a disease whose classification according to the International Classification of Diseases is 302.0. Hey, sing if you're glad to be gay.
investors for meeting and raid on our pubs. Make sure your boyfriend's at least 21. So only your friends and your brothers get done. Lie to your workmates, lie to your folks. Put down the Queen's tail, anti-queer jokes. Gay lives ridiculous, join their laughter. The buggers are legal now. What more are they after? Tell them Say if you're glad to be gay